Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, the sports editor of the Providence Journal. With me is Bill Koch, a Red Sox writer. Bill, welcome to week two of the baseball season. Bill Corey, wonderful to be here, as always. So, you know, you were joking before we went on, uh, went on. well, it's not air, but, you know, close enough, before we went live here that uh, if we had done this podcast on Monday, it would sound a lot different because the Red Sox got off to a horrendous start. <laughs> yes. Losing three games in a row to the lowly Baltimore Orioles in Fenway Park. But, you know, we are doing it now on Friday and have the benefit of uh, four more games since then. And, uh, you know, the Red Sox put together four straight wins, which they hadn't done in quite a while. So I'm interesting to I'm interested to hear your take on what we see from the Red Sox early on this season. But before we get to that, Bill, tell me what it was like on opening day at Fenway Park, you know, with uh, the crowd of four thousand four hundred, whatever the number was. What was the atmosphere like? It must have been, you know, you were there last year when when there were no fans. Yeah. So it's, this is obviously not a, a capacity crowd. But what was the uh, what was the feeling like near the ballpark? You, you had talked to a couple of fans. It must have been great just to have some buzz that's not piped in. It, 2020, whether it's baseball-wise, real-life-wise, whatever it may be, is, is something that none of us want to live again. Uh, a lot of those experiences we, we never want to have again. And, yep. and that includes an empty Fenway Park every single night. I, I've said this multiple times to you, both on and, and off the podcast, just how strange it was to have a place that's normally so alive, so full, so noisy, um, you know, be so silent. And so empty, and have piped-in crowd noise. Right. The sound system—it's just so bizarre. Right. Um, right. You know, so to even have twelve percent capacity, and you know, fans reacting to balls hit in play, balls hit over the fence. Um, you know, the Red Sox scoring runs. Uh, you know, just little things like that—the little creature comforts that you normally have. Um, it felt like you know, yet another half step back. Towards normal, I, I know uh, you know a lot of the the bars and restaurants around the park were, were open. Yep. Um, you know, and they're they're welcoming some fans in. Uh, still, in a lot of places, limited capacities, but it's good to see the storefronts out there. Uh, sure. You know, people sort of reemerging. Uh, a lot of folks who have been vaccinated already. Um, you know, who feel safer, better about resuming their lives. Right. Um, you know, so I would say that. It is improved uh, around Fenway Park, and, and I think it's sort of like you know a really good first step. I, I think you can sort of see where this is going to go hmm. over the next you know few months as we get into the summer and then towards the end of the season in September and October. Sure, and and I can tell you just from watching it on TV, it was it was good to some hear some of that in in the stands again and know that it was actual live human beings cheering or jeering or clapping or whatever. Uh, you know, it still must have been strange though looking around Fenway Park and just seeing swaths and swaths of kind of empty seats. Oh, of with, course, it is with with you know bodies <laughs> here and there, right? Yeah, you know this the, like the Sox for for who they've been for the last you know, twenty years, really. Um, you know, maybe even a little longer than that. You, you and I don't really, you know, we go back to a time where not every night was like this and, you sure. know, not every night was 30,000, 35,000 or, or whatever else. I mean, I think back to like the Roger Clemens, the 20K game in 1986, I think there was only like 13,000 at, at Fenway that night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you watch the clips on Nesson, you just see the empty seats from, you know, the right field foul pole down around the grandstand. The bleachers are just about empty. You know, it looks very strange. Right. Um, Although now I think probably 100,000 people would claim they were there. Well, of course. Right. That's, that's <laughs> the way those things go. Um, you know, but it, it's just an empty Fenway Park. It isn't really something that we've seen in right. 20, 25 years. Um, 
you know, so even to have a, a small percentage of fans back is is just so much better than what it was last season. What, what about outside the park? You know, were there were there vendors there and stuff? You know, uh, just you know, there's usually such a mob scene there, and it's it's fun. It's, there's a great energy. You know, you can smell peanuts and the sausages and all that stuff. Was was it getting close to that again? All that's back. Yeah, you, you do have some street vendors out there. You, you do have that wonderful sausage and peppers and onions <laughs> right. in the air. Uh, uh, you know, you you had a lot of folks on opening day who who were just coming down to hang out around the park, and, and I think that's right. very common in the best of times. I, I think a lot of people who don't have a ticket will go to Game On, or they'll go to Cask and Flagon, sure. or, or they'll go to you know Bill's Bar or something like that, and, and just you know or Yard House, and, and just be there and hang out. Um, yeah, well, getting, I think there getting, is some of that going on. Getting a ticket is no easy feat right now because obviously it's so limited, right? Right, that's true. <clears throat> and uh, I know that some of the game day prices there for uh, especially opening day were were crazy so so let's turn our attention to what was happening uh, inside the walls of Fenway Park now and um, so Bill I have to be honest with you I think that um, after watching them through the first weekend I was going to about just about say okay well not much has changed here. We're, we're in for a long, depressing season. Now, obviously, it was three games, but, you know, there was a sense of, uh, you know, the Red Sox really needed to come out of the gate, put last year behind them. They've got a revamped lineup. You know, you've got a healthy Erod. Well, you didn't have a healthy Erod, but you were thinking going into, uh, you know, the first week of the season prior to what yes, was happening, you'd have you'd have a healthy pitching staff. So there was all this expectation of, of you know, we're going to put twenty twenty behind us. This is a uh, this is a new team, new energy, uh, and then you go and lose three straight to the Baltimore Orioles. Now look, in the grand scheme of things. It doesn't really matter that much, you know. You had, you still have 159 games to go, uh, but it w- it wasn't the kind of statement that that I think most people were expecting. Uh, but you know, uh, they bounced right back, won three, and then another one uh, last night. So that, or yeah, last night. So um, you know, four games in a row. So I think we're feeling a lot better. If you're a Red Sox fan about this team, mm-hmm. uh, certainly the the offense um, seems to be uh, gelling pretty quickly here. I mean, JD Martinez obviously is uh, key to their success, and he's been he's been great. And as as has uh, as has Christian Vasquez as well. Mm. Um, so I mean, what do we take from these first seven games? Uh, you know, we had low, we had high. Uh, obviously, plenty, plenty of baseball left to go, but uh, certainly some encouraging signs. Well, we talked about it in the season preview. I, I think you know these guys need to set a certain tone coming out of the gate to get the fans back. Uh, yeah. You know, last year was just so disappointing. Uh, it, it was such a lost season, uh, and that goes beyond the pandemic. It, it was just the product on the field just wasn't any good. Um, you know, they were just so poor on, on so many nights that. Yep. You wondered where the franchise is going, not where this team is going, uh, and and that's disconcerting if you're a fan. Sure, sure. Um, you know the common trends that I look at uh, over the first seven games. I think they pitch pretty well. You've only really had one bad start. That was from Garrett Richards, um, the the last game of of the Baltimore series on Sunday. Yep. Um, I think it's it's hugely important that J D Martinez is off to this kind of start. Um, I think he's the guy who just allows everybody else in your lineup to, to sort of snap into their own role. You know, nobody has to press. Nobody has to try to do more than what he's capable of doing. Right. Uh, you know, Martinez is that guy. He is supposed to be that elite slugger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's why you signed him in free agency after the 2017 season when you finished last in the American League in home runs. You you needed that middle-of-the-lineup presence. And, and that guy wasn't there last year. Uh you know, his routines were disturbed. He, he took two months off after spring training. Um, you know, he couldn't consult video and, and make adjustments from at bat to at bat. Yep. Uh, and it really hurt his confidence. And, and you could see it over the course of the year. He's getting beat by fastballs in the zone. Um, you know, he looks old, frankly, uh, mm-hmm. at times, inflexible. Um, you know, this year he's got seven doubles in as many games. He's got a 1,300 OPS. Um, you know, and, and he's just hitting balls right on the screws. Sure. Uh, and, and that allows guys like... Bogarts and Devers and, and Vasquez and Verdugo to just kind of be themselves. And, and realistically, 
I, I'm sure you would agree with this. This is a team that we felt like would score runs. This, yeah, this that, is a good lineup. That was not supposed to be the problem for them. Not at all. Right. Um, yeah. you know, but you look at the, the pitching staff, and, and I think the starters have been good. Um, and I think the bullpen has been reasonably good behind them. Um, I, I think you've gotten, you know, to this point, sort of what you've expected out of guys, and I think that's a good thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, if you were to look at these stats early on, you'll see that there are, if I, if I have these correct, uh, there are two guys right now who are batting over the magic 400 mark. Yeah. The other guy is Christian Vasquez, who you know has been uh, a pleasant offensive surprise now for the past couple of seasons and certainly carrying that so far into the early part of the year. Uh, so, Bill, here's my question about Christian Vasquez. If we get to, uh, you know, May 10th or May 15th, and he's still, you know, well, he's not going to be hitting, uh, what's he hitting, 450? He's not going to be in 458 <laughs> by then. But let's say he's hitting, you know, 320 or 330. By, uh, is there any thought given to maybe uh, increasing his, or moving him up in the lineup and maybe increasing his... Um, you know, lo- offensive load a little bit more, or do you think leave well enough alone? You know, we've got Bogarts and uh, you got uh, Martinez and uh, people in the middle of the lineup, so you know we'll leave some of that thunder de- down down below. But you know, it's not often you've got somebody that low in the lineup who, if he continues to hit as well as he hits, that's that low. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know it goes back to what I said about Martinez. Is is if he's performing, it allows everybody else to sort of be who they are. Right. Um, you know, so that means that Vasquez probably should hit sixth or seventh. Um, you know, you're not necessarily going to turn him into a cleanup hitter. No. all of a sudden, right, uh, right. you know, and I, I think in his case, uh, 2019, he had a really good offensive year. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a strong start to 2020 and, and sort of faded a little bit. Um, you know, wasn't wasn't going to keep up the pace right. that he set early in the year. Uh, but this guy is capable of doing this. Uh, he's 30 years old. He's a veteran at this point. He's mm-hmm. got enough of a track record where you know that he can be effective over longer stretches. Yep. Um, you know, and I in Vasquez's case in particular, um, I like to see people who are rewarded for work they put in in the off season. Uh, you know, this is a guy who, who's lost a considerable amount of weight, 15 or 20 pounds. Um, he had a batting cage constructed at home in Florida. Uh, mm-hmm. As Alex Cora said the other day, he bought a Rapsodo, which which tracks you know spin rates and exit velocities and his throwing mechanics. So he has made a significant investment in himself, in his profession. Um, and it's nice to see that rewarded. And, and I think he's the type of guy, uh, Bill, at a position... I think catchers sort of, you know, they're able to touch every area of the roster. They're a position player, but they also work with the pitchers. We've talked about this before with Jason Veritek and why that made him the ideal captain. Um, you know, why so many catchers become managers, because they understand both sides of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Vasquez carries himself in a certain way, knowing that he's established, um, you know, feeling good about his own game. But he's also got a little bit of natural swagger to him. You you could see the the tying home run he hit he hit against Tampa Bay the other night in the yeah. twelve inning game. That bat flip was prodigious. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Wednesday the same. He hits a two run homer that, that gives them the lead. You know, he's got the bat in his hands all the way to the first base bag. Uh, you could tell that he felt good about himself, and that he was encouraging his teammates to follow along. Um, and and I don't think a team can ever have too many of those guys. It's great when you have a catcher who is so defensively sound like Vasquez who can then also contribute to that le- on that level on the offense because typically, you know, a catcher um, you know, there is so much uh de- the game depends so much on having a good catch, calling a game. It's a and, very and, difficult position to right. play. Right, and, and and physically, it's a certainly it's a grinding yes. position to play. But for him to be able to to uh, contribute offensively, and obviously, it's a long season, and we'll see what you know, we'll see what he's doing in late July. But uh, you know, in in a lot of ways, it's kind of like a pleasant you know surprise because i don't think those of us who saw vasquez when he as he was coming up really thought of him as this kind of an offensive player i mean you would certainly hope he's he's going to he's he's going to hit above the mendoza line <laughs> right you know right. but you know you i think most people like you know if he gives you 260 or whatever of a batting average and he's a really good catcher and throwing out runners and calls a good game you kind of take it but hey if he's if he's able to do this as well i think that that's just that adds so much 
to the Red Sox attack because then there isn't a let up down down the, the bottom of the lineup. And and to answer my own question, I would kind of leave him where he is. You know, he's Absolutely. he's comfortable. He's seeing hit balls to hit. Uh, you know, and as long as you're getting the the production you're expecting to get around the middle of the lineup, then uh, you know I, I think keep him where he, keep him where he is in that six or seven hole, uh, depending on on the game, and and hopefully he's continued to uh, continue to, to be a, an offensive threat throughout the season. Well, you remember when when he was coming up as a prospect, um, you know he was uh, he was with Blake Swihart. Right. They had they had the two catchers who were coming through at the same time, and you thought, you know, if one of these guys pops and, and makes himself the everyday guy, um, you know, the organization's going to be in good shape going forward. It was kind of viewed that Swihart was the offensive guy, right. and Vasquez was the defensive yeah, guy. Vasquez was the glove, and and Swihart was the bat. That's sort of how we thought of it back then. And and I think a lot of the discussion at the time was, gee, you know, if we could just Frankenstein these two, <laughs> you know, if if if, if one of them yeah. just had the all around skill set. Um, you know, or if we could dial Swihart back a little bit offensively yep. to increase the glove, or if we could dial Vasquez up a little bit offensively, and and do, you know, sure. Um, but he he has he has established himself uh, as an everyday guy, an everyday catcher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the cornerstones of this team, uh, and someone who realistically, um, you know, like he did on Wednesday, he could be the DH against left-handed pitching. That that could be a way to get him into the lineup True. a little bit more, as you suggested. Right. Uh, 2019, he played 138 games. And, and I want to say, without looking it up, that he probably caught 110, 115 of those. There were several of those where he was a designated hitter, right. and, and J.D. Martinez played the outfield um, you know, against the left-handed pitcher. So I think Cora is going to look for some of those spots, yep. whether it's a day game after a night game, or if he's caught three or four days in a row and you have a left-handed pitcher. Um, where he could stack the lineup a little bit, and Vasquez is going to be one of the real options as a right-handed bat. Absolutely. Uh, so taking another, uh, taking a quick look at the rest of the lineup here. I mean, Bogarts is hitting well. Uh, you know, spraying the ball around as you as you noted earlier, and uh, I want to say he's hit, yeah he's hitting three seventy five now. Hasn't hit a home run yet, but you know it's early, and if he's spraying the ball around the ballpark and hitting three seventy five, you take it. Um, uh, so. Um, Raphael Devers got himself off to a very slow start and looks like he's kind of, as, as you wrote today, kind of finding his groove here. So, yeah. you know, uh, certainly not worried about him, uh, especially after seeing him the last few games here. Uh, what's your take on Devers? What have you seen from him uh, physically? Still not Brooks Robinson at third base, is he? <laughs> no, no. And, and he's never going to be, to, yeah. to be fair. Um, you know, all you want is for him to be an adequate defender because the bat is just elite. Um, you know, and, and more importantly, his offense at third base is elite. Mm. Um, if you make him a first baseman or a designated hitter, uh, he's closer to the pack in terms of what his final numbers are going to look like. But, but if you play him at third base and he has the type of season he had in 2019, mm. you're talking about Jose Ramirez, Alex Bregman, Nolan Arenado. Like, he's in that sure. company. Yeah, he's in the top tier at the for play. sure. Yeah. Um, you know, you put him at first base, and, and he's just he's not just another guy, but he's a lot more average yeah. in that way. Sure, sure. Um, There are a lot more sluggers who play over there. So I think the Red Sox recognize that. Um, a couple things I look for with Devers, and, and these are trends that have gone on over the last few years. Uh, hard hit balls, when, when he puts balls in play at 95 miles an hour or better, uh, in 2019 and 2020 combined, he's third in the majors in wow. that category. Hmm. Uh, the only two guys ahead of him were Jose Abreu and DJ LeMahieu, two good. pretty good hitters. Pretty good, yeah. Um, you know, and, and he started to do that on Sunday against the Orioles. He had three hard hit balls in that game. Had nothing to show for it, right. um, you know, but it wasn't a typical, like, ofer. Yeah, you yeah, look yeah. in the box score and you're like, hey, he was 0 for 4, 0 for 5. You know, right, he, right. he didn't have a great day. He didn't get results. He had good at bats. Um, you know, the the Wednesday uh, against the Rays, um, you know, you you have a it's a one nothing game in the fourth inning. He draws a leadoff walk, and and Alex Cora constantly will look at walks as sort of a harbinger of a guy who's about yeah. to go on a run offensively because it means they have a good grasp of the strike zone. They're not expanding. They're not chasing. Right. Um, you know, he had a, a key hit Tuesday night in extra innings uh, in a game that they won in 12. And, and then, 
you, know, you get into Thursday and he gets into the first inning and you know Matt Harvey makes a mistake out over the plate and he hits it 452 yeah. feet. It's first home run of the year. Right. Um, he also had a walk later in that game. Um, you know, so I think in terms of Devers, you're just looking for hard contact. And if he's taking walks, that means he's not expanding. He feels confident up there. Right. Uh, and after that, the hits will follow because this guy is incredibly special with the bat in his hands. When when you consider the age that he still is, I mean, he's 24. Yep. You know, he's really still just starting. Um, you consider the season that he put up in 2019. Guys don't put up those numbers and have it be a fluke. That That's just not no. something that you do. Um, you know, and he's got a long enough sample now over two or three years where, where you can be confident that this guy is going to hit the ball over an extended stretch. Sure. Um, you know, sure. but just those little indicators. If he's walking and if he's making hard contact consistently, the numbers will follow. Yeah, I certainly think so, too. I mean, he's he's been too good. He's been such an elite hitter uh, in the past. Uh, you know, I think that those numbers will come around. And he's still one of those guys, I think, that when he gets up to the plate that you kind of you, you want to see. You want to see him bat because, you know, he could hit a ball 450 feet. No question. You know? Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, with uh, we're in into the season, what, seven games we mentioned? Yep. It's, it's probably too early to raise red flags, but there are a couple of people on my watch list, let's say. <laughs> okay. In terms of offensive uh, offensive numbers. Uh, the first is Verdugo. Not not the greatest start, but not the worst. Um, I don't know if you, th- if, if you have any feelings about it, but, uh, you know, I, I think he'll come around, but, you know, he's batting 200 or so. Um, you know, uh, I know he's got a position change this year, playing more center field. But uh, and anything there yet, Bill? Are you noticing anything one way or the other with with Verdugo? Uh, you know, I think Verdugo might have gotten himself off to a slow start. Uh, didn't take a lot of BP on the field in spring. Didn't really play in a lot of games. Yeah. Um, you know, I, hindsight being what it is, I feel like maybe he should have played a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there there is a fine line between. Uh, you know, getting prepared and, and actually trying to run in the tires a little bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, you know, but that, I, I would say that in Verdugo's case, um, he is a complete hitter, uh, mm-hmm. not a slugger, you know, not a guy who's going to hit 30 home runs. Right. But a complete hitter who uses all fields. And, and when you see him Thursday hit a double down each line, Yep. early in the game he doubles to left right down the line, later in the game he doubles to right right down the line. If he's using the whole field like that, sure. just a matter of time before he shows up. Uh, and the other guy on my watch list, so to speak, and this is certainly not a surprise, is is Dahlbeck. Right. Uh, so I think he's leading the team, I want to say, in strikeouts, which is not really a surprise, or he's tied with the lead or whatever. No. Uh, so, you know, um, again, we're, we're seven games in. Uh, so we don't want to, you know, jump off the cliff here. But this is sort of what we were expecting, right? Somebody who's going to get up there and take mighty cuts and, and you know, go back to the dugout w- with nothing to show for it on, on a few occasions. Yeah, they uh, they gave him two days off on Monday and Tuesday. Yeah. They, they sort of wanted him to figure himself out. Yeah. After a tough opening series against the Orioles, I, I think he struck out five times in 11 plate appearances. Uh, sure enough, Wednesday he has two hits, and, mm-hmm. and they're both to center field. Yep. And, and I think... What they want to emphasize with Dahlbeck is just, you know, be able to control the strike zone. Um, but most importantly, use a big part of the field. Yeah. You don't need to pull the ball. Right. You don't need to sell out. Your power, he, he might have the best pure power on the team. Um, you know, so just kind of slot it in, do what you were doing last season and in spring training. Use a big part of the field in center and in right center. Yeah. Um, you know, and just slow down a little bit. And I understand that, that you know, for what we think of Dahlbeck and, and what we saw last year, it was only 92 plate appearances. Yeah. Um, had eight home runs. Right. Had success. And he, he had those eight home runs very early in those 92 plate appearances, if I remember correctly. I mean, it, he, seemed, he, it seemed like his first eight at-bats or something. No, like it's that. true. He, yeah. he came right out of the blocks, and you were just like, wow, what do they have here? Yeah. Um, you know, this is fantastic. Uh, you know, but I think... I think first time being an everyday regular in the big leagues and, and, you know, sort of some expectations there now. Yeah. Um, You know, a team that you hope would be improved and and you're looking at somebody who's, you know, really the only rookie out there. Um, You know, it's not like he has a lot of guys to go through this with. Um, Level-headed kid, but, you know, all that can be weighty a a little bit. Sure. So I think maybe just go to him and say, look, 
Take a half a step back. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of the two days off was about. Just take a half a step back. Calm down. Yeah. Just do what we know you can do. And and he's played very well defensively at first. Yes. I, I think that's important. Yeah, we should make that point. He he's had made he's made some very nice plays over there and and I was that was something I was just, you know, kind of wondering how that would go with a somebody who's going to be in there more often and and he's been fine there defensively and uh you know I, the other thing about I think uh right-handed power hitters in Fenway Park that you know that wall is so alluring mm. you know it probably looks like it's 20 feet away you know so I think that there's a uh, that there's kind of a a uh, inclination to try and pepper that wall or, or jack it over the wall no and stuff question. and and uh, you know I think if if you're not the best hitter in the world and that's what you're trying to do you're going to get yourself in trouble but if you can as you said try to use the big part of the field those those home runs and those doubles off the wall they're going to come absolutely you know, you know it's it's he's too he's too strong of a play. I mean you know, for some some players that they'd, they'd hit a bloop that that dies in in short left field, that, that his would just scrape the wall and end up with a you know either a long single or a double. So, uh, you know, hoping hoping that uh, that the Dahlbeck kind of uh, figures it out. I keep wanting to call him Brian Dahlbeck because of Brian Dahlbeck. Brian Dahlbeck, played, sure. Obviously, it's not. Yeah. Uh, so let's. Uh, so let's take a look at the pitching so far, and let's start right off with uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, who got the ball for the first time and seemed like forever, but it was well over. A, it was over. A, it was over a year. Uh, yeah, five hundred fifty-seven days. Yeah, um, and uh, I, I would say acquitted himself fairly well in in the win. Uh, you know, gave him five innings. Um, certainly kept them in the ballpark. Got got the win and. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, he was excited and happy for, for, you know, just to get out there and compete again. Well, I mean, just imagine, you know, you're sitting out 557 days. It's a year and a half. Right. Um, you know, and, and it's not for an elbow injury or a knee injury. It's for something that you, you know, sort of have no basis for comparison. Yeah. Yep. Um, a 27-year-old guy who tests positive for COVID-19 and develops myocarditis and, and is told to shut down physically for at least three months. Um, you know, at the time, you think about last July and, and where we were with the virus, it was startling. That was startling news. Right. Sure. You know, here's this 27-year-old guy, professional athlete, in his physical prime, being told to sit on his couch for three months. Because <laughs> if he exerts himself physically, he could have a heart attack. Right. I, I mean, that that sort of thing, you know, when you just put it out in black and white, it's like, my goodness, yeah, what, no. what are we really talking Sobering, about Sobering, for sure. Um, you know, but for him to go through spring and, and sort of look reasonably good in the Grapefruit League. Yep. And then have a setback at the end and, and you know, have the dead arm and he starts the year on the IL and, you know, he has to go to Worcester and throw a simulated game. Um, you're just thinking, geez, what's next? That you know? must have been really tough for him because you know you, you you go through what he went through last year, and you uh, you know you, you you fight your way back, and and you're you're ready to go in the spring, and then and then you have that setback, and and uh, you know you you can't get the the ball on opening day for the second straight season, uh, but you know in the grand scheme of things, okay, it was a week, whatever, and and he he did get the ball, and, and he performed he performed well. You know, here we are, we're we're media folks and and obviously there are fans out there listening and you can imagine you know our impatience is he ever gonna get back out there <laughs> right well now imagine how he feels sure he's yeah. the one living it yeah. he's the one going through it he's the one who can't go out there um you know it's gonna be maddening and, and i know uh he said after the game on on thursday um you know that he felt like it was his debut he, he had that sort of feeling, yep. again, like it was his Major League debut. Uh, he said, you know, in the first inning, he, he the first batter steps in, and, and he's just sort of looking around Camden Yards and looking at the fans, and he said, I got chills. I got emotional chills. Yep. Um, you know, just, just being back in that spot. He, he said, I was almost too excited. Um, and I would say over five innings, he pitched reasonably well. Um, yeah. You know, he got, he got bit by the home run ball a couple times. Um, you know, but four hits allowed, no walks, seven strikeouts. He threw 79 pitches. Uh, 56 of those were strikes. I think he had reasonable command as he got into his outing a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's, he settled down, I, I think, obviously. Yeah, I think a lot of that was probably just nerves and just adrenaline and just, you know, so excited to get back on the mound. You know, I, I think it took him an inning or so to kind of find himself again, but he did. And, and I think that's perfectly understandable. I, I really think that it was important 
the way he sort of settled in. Yeah. Uh, because you, you look at the first inning, and he's over 20 pitches, and he's given up two runs. And I'm thinking to myself, if he comes out in the second inning and, and does something similar, um, the Red Sox are going to be fortunate they have a day off on Friday because they're going to burn through the bullpen here. Hmm. They're going to end up using a lot of guys. Yeah. Um, you know, This is supposed to be a feel-good story about Erod coming back. It's going to feel less good yeah. if he goes out and gets hit hard. Sure. Um, you, know, you could ask, should they have given him another week? Should they have given Tanner Houck another start? Um, you know, was the timing of this correct? Did they get this right? Uh, and he did enough to show that, yes, they did get it right. And his offense got him a win yeah. uh, because they got him a couple runs in the sixth inning. It was a 3-2 game, and, and they managed to scratch out a couple runs on an infield out by Christian Arroyo and, and a single by Franchi Cordero. And, you know, all of a sudden he's the pitcher of record in a good way. Yeah, uh, leading 4-3, right. the bullpen comes in, they do the job. Uh, and he ends up getting the win. So, you know, all in all, I think uh, a really good day for Eduardo Rodriguez and, and, and a really good lift for the Red Sox as an organization. Well, I think that, uh, you know, going into the season, uh, you and I and probably a lot of observers were saying that, you know, the the, uh, the lineup here it looks good enough to compete, you know. They certainly, uh, and that's making assumptions, and one of those assumptions is J.D. Martinez looks like J.D. Martinez, and he so far he has, and that Bogarts continues to be Bogarts, and so far pretty much he has, and that, right. uh, you know, Devers kind of, uh, but the question mark obviously was, well, how are they going to pitch? And, and right. it was hard to hard to know because, you know, you know you're not going to have Chris Sale, in, at least not for the first part of the season, and who knows what shape he's going to be in later later this year. Is he going to be back to his old self? and Whatever um, you know, you you were banking on Erod coming back and returning to form, and probably Eovaldi, and then you kind of weren't sure. So so far, as we go through the, as we've gone through the rotation here uh, one time, I would say that uh, that um, it hasn't been bad. No, uh, y- you know, no. there's certainly maybe some aspects and some innings that you could point to. Uh, I would say Eovaldi has been uh, has been very good. Yes, uh, you know, and uh, I think he's. I want to say he's got 11 strikeouts in 12 innings or something like that. Uh, And uh, certainly looked like he had his command and his velocity and all the things that that you expect Ivaldi to have. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you're kind of waiting to see if he's going to get through a full season healthy or not. But so far, so good. Um, You you know, uh, we talked about Erod. You know, and Tanner Houck, I think, opened a few eyes. And he looked pretty good uh, in the times that we've seen him. Obviously, he's been... Shipped out to the alternate site since uh, since his, um, his his last uh, stint, but uh, that looks like something could be brewing on the horizon in the not too distant future. Yeah, if you were uh, you know, if you were one of the veteran guys who they're not necessarily committed to long term, if if you're Martin Perez, if you're Garrett Richards, if you're Nick Pavetta, <laughs> you're taking notice of him, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you got this kid who who all of a sudden looks like he can pitch there. Yeah. Um, you know, we he had that brief cameo in September last year. Obviously, he won all three of his starts and, and looked impressive doing right. it. Uh, but by then, nobody was paying attention well, to the Red Sox. That's true. <laughs> right. It was it was just poor schlubs like you and I right. uh, stuck watching those games, um, and some of us had to attend them in person. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I no, I, I would say that you know he showed something yeah. down the stretch last year. Um, he showed something again in his last start of spring. I, I think. He probably relaxed a little bit when they told him he wasn't going to make the team. Um, you know, I, I think he was—he might have been pressing a little bit right. uh, at the start of spring. He, he might have been trying to impress. Um, you know, and, and that's—he doesn't need to do that mm-hmm. because he's good yeah. and they like him. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know that that start against Baltimore that he made on on Saturday, uh, his velocity was up. Uh, his slider is clearly a plus secondary pitch, a wipeout pitch against right-handed hitters. Uh, what they want organizationally is to see the third pitch, to see the split-fingered fastball come in a little bit, mm-hmm. to see a little more of the four-seam fastball. Um, you know, these are these are nitpicks that organizations make of prospects to try to further ensure that they will be successful in the long term. And, right. and if you're the Red Sox, I guess what you could say, and, and certainly Haim Bloom would, would make this argument, you're at a point in 2021 where you are optioning him 
to the alternate site. Last year, you would have begged him to make more starts. Your your starting pitching, yeah, you were you were desperate for so ar- right. You were desperate for arms, absolutely. So poor, yeah. Um, you know, so you consider now that that's your sixth guy. You know, last year, realistically, he probably would have been your third guy. You know, it's it's a. It's a reassuring feeling once again when you when you can look down at the minors and say, yeah, we got somebody one or two got one or two guys that could reasonably step in here and keep the team competitive. At least that's my feeling with Tanner Houck so far, based on what we saw from him last year and this year. What uh, what I really like <clears throat> about Tanner Houck, and and it sort of goes back to you know what I was saying about Vasquez earlier. Mm-hmm. Tanner Hawk's got a little something to him, a little extra edge. You know, it's funny. I I uh, I was when I was watching him, and uh, I uh, <laughs> I thought of Nuke Lelouch. Well, a little bit. You know, he's kind of got that. Physically, he resembles Tim Robbins. Yeah, yeah, and he and he does have a little Six, bit five of a, and lean, little bit of an edge, a little bit of a something on there going on. You know, and uh, and uh, you know, hopefully it it. it it ends. It, it goes well for him too. You well, know, Nuke so. Lelouch made the bigs. That's right. We, uh, we don't know what happened after that, but <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> he doesn't made, matter. He made the show, he, and then right. He right. made the show. Yeah. Uh, you know, he he he. Uh, you know, he had a pretty. He had himself a pretty good run in Durham. Yeah. Um, you know, but you know, Hauk sort of has like. You know, he's got like the hat pulled down low, and he sort of lopes out there. Yeah. And, you know, he kind of... He's got the tattoos going on, right? You know, he, yeah. he looks at you an, an, an extra half second after he strikes you out. And, right, right. You know, he's almost contemptuous of opposing hitters. Yeah. He's you love, of, I love that. I love that. You know, he, he's <laughs> right, sort of right. got... He's got a little bit of that Old West gunfighter yeah, going absolutely. Through, which, yeah. if you're going to be a pitcher and you're going to carry yourself like that, I love that. Yeah. As long, as, long as you can back it up. And you, and I think he can. You know that's and and I, I think he can and and hopefully he can right. But th- there is that there is that kind of that right on the edge uh, attitude with him that that is that that strikes you as as him being kind of a special guy. The, so. the, the best thing about him, I think, is the moment isn't too big. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. and, and we won't really know. Yeah, until I mean, we're it's a postseason start right, or something early. like that, or he's yeah. you know at Yankee Stadium and there are forty five thousand people breathing down his neck, but. Mm-hmm. So far, at least, early in his career, yep. there hasn't been any point where the moment has been too big. And, and I think you, know, you, you see a lot of guys with great stuff who don't make it. Right. Um, he has the makeup to be there. He has that sort of confidence, that sort of self-belief to be there. And that's not always something that you can teach. You can get him to refine a third pitch. You can talk to him about sequencing and approach and, and whatever else. But I think what's inside... Tanner Houck is what Red Sox fans should be most excited about at this point. Sure, absolutely. A um, couple other quick questions, Bill, to see what what, what your take on um, on a couple of other uh, pitchers are. Nick Pavetta, uh, you know, we talked about him in past podcasts, and still a young guy, relatively young guy. He's twenty eight, and you know, somebody that that had sort of high hopes in his previous stops, and maybe those teams kind of gave up on him. Uh, you know, we haven't seen him much, but uh, so far so good, I guess. Power right-handed arm, uh, threw a lot of sliders the other night in, yep. in his game. 92 pitches, I think 36 are sliders. It, it's one of the highest usage rates he's had in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at this point, he, he's sort of starting over here in Boston. Right. Um, and you need to be willing to try some things. And if that means throwing more sliders, throwing more curveballs, you know, throwing more two-seam fastballs, whatever it may be, uh, you should embrace that uh, because he's out of options. They, they can't send him to the minor leagues. Right. Uh, he would be claimed on waivers because he is 28, 28 96 yeah. miles an hour. Yep. Um, you know, but I, I think, you know, in Pavetta's case, he's traded by the Phillies. They've sort of reached the end of the line with him. Um, they've started him. They've moved him to the bullpen. They've started him again. They've made it clear he's not going to be a starter right. for 2020. Uh, he sort of soured on his time there, I, I think, and needed a fresh start. Um, and I think Boston is, is willing to give that to him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good marriage in that way because they have opportunity and he needs opportunity. Um, but I think Nick Pavetta just, you know, he strikes me as the type of guy who, who just needs someone to believe in him uh, a little bit hmm. um yeah you know and and in that way he needs to reciprocate by showing that he is worth believing right. in and i think the other night um he was perfectly fine 
in his first start. I, I wouldn't say he was great. No. I, I wouldn't say, you know, you're going to break the bank to, to keep him in any way in two or three years when he's a free agent. But I think he was perfectly adequate from the standpoint that the Rays had trouble hitting him. They only got two hits. Right. Uh, four walks and four strikeouts. You, you'd like to see a little better command. Mm-hmm. But all in all, if that's your number five starter, uh, you could be a lot worse off. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so one other guy I want to touch on here is Garrett Richards, who did not uh, quit himself very well. No. Uh, so, again, one game, right? Uh, but uh, what, what's our take on him early? Uh, you know, I, I'm reserving judgment, obviously, but you'd like to see somebody have a little bit better outing. Uh, because, you know, new to the team, you, you know, you want to kind of get the fans on your side. You want to establish some confidence with your teammates. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not not to say that none of that's going to happen. It's just it wasn't the best. It wasn't the best debut. No, and he wasn't great in spring training either. Yeah. Um, you know, so you, you wonder if, if this is going to take some time for him to iron some things out. Uh, seven hits in two innings. Um, yeah, the, the ERA is, does that doesn't do very uh, very well for your ERA. <laughs> no, it's not great. You yeah. know, and, and and there were some questions about some of his post game comments. Uh, you know, he he mentioned that um, the Orioles were were sort of they've sort of found some holes with some balls. He, he wasn't necessarily giving credit. Yeah. for the Orioles hitting balls hard. Um, you know, he mentioned that he got beaten a shift a couple times, yeah. which, you know, you could interpret as him blaming his coaching staff his defense, <laughs> uh, which pitchers yeah. generally don't want to do. Yeah. Um, you know, he sounded very John Lackey-esque. You know, that's that's the thing. You know, uh, when you have somebody like Chris Sale on the staff who will take who will take you know the blame for anything, even though he doesn't who, really, who ev- will eviscerate himself. That's right. Yes. Who probably goes overboard? Way right? over. And then you've got somebody else who, you know, is your first. This is your first start in a Red Sox uniform, and and all of a sudden you're, instead of saying, you know, that's on me, and all right, I should have made better pitches, or you know, it's yeah, it's the shift, and it's they weren't hitting it hard, and and you, you know, shut up, you know, it's like it's like <laughs> shut up and go out and pitch better, and don't blame everybody else, you know. The, so the f- I mean, not to say that that there isn't some validities to to maybe some of his complaints, but nobody wants to hear that you know <laughs> let the record show that in season four of the podcast bill Corey has told his first person to shut up right right it it, it, it took this long it took yeah it took you didn't even do this one. last year last year was just such a joke it was you know <laughs> you couldn't muster the contempt no, I mean, to tell someone just, to shut you up you know it was like watching uh, a circus you know but but and look he may go out and and write himself and everything will be great and i hope he does but you just it just turns you off when you hear that well, you know you know i i think i think a lot of that he just hasn't built up any credit yet no. you know he doesn't have any goodwill yet for so you know that that's what it is you know if, if if you're coming off you know three really good starts and then you know you you throw in a clunker and people are like oh, okay whatever but this is the first time we've seen him really i I, th- I think a lot of times the the public give and take playing the media game it, it requires a, a little bit of of uh you know, a little bit of untruthfulness perhaps uh you know if you think that that you got beat by a bunch of bloopers and and by the shift and and whatever else it's not always in your best interest to say that yeah even if it's true yeah it's just just come out and say you know i didn't get it done right, i didn't exactly. have it today it's I'll, on me i'll and, get them the next yeah, time that's you know nobody's um, gonna blame you for that you know but they are gonna start nitpicking if you if all of a sudden you're pointing fingers in every direction except at you. You know, and the other thing I, I, I think uh, a lot of times is, you know, you look at a guy like Garrett Richards and where he's pitched, and it's L.A. and San Diego, and nobody really cares. Those are two totally different markets. Right. It's not Philadelphia. It's not New York. It's not Boston. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think, you know, sometimes you make comments like that, and, and they're innocent. And and I don't think he's coming from a malicious place. I don't think he's blaming his teammates. Yeah. I don't think he's a cancer in the clubhouse. Like none of that. No, no, stuff. I, I, no. I certainly am not going to go. I don't think that's the case. But either. I think sometimes you're unaware that you are in the fishbowl that is Boston. Yeah. And when you say things like that, it's not a great look. And there are actually people here who are listening to what you say, who care about what you have to say because you're a pitcher for the Red Sox. Right. It's not like when you pitch for the Angels and it's like, oh, you know, I had a bad outing, whatever. You know, my mm-hmm. teammates were bad. No one in Los Angeles cares right. about Garrett Richards and your one bad outing. In yeah. Boston, you're going to be in talk radio for the next two days, <laughs> and you're going to be on a podcast like like what we're talking about right, right now. So there is, there is a certain way to do things yeah. in this market that I think is foreign to some guys who have only played 
in smaller or, or less passionate markets. Right, and before. that and that's fair. And that's fair. You, you're coming from places where you know fishbowl is not uh, is not nearly as big, and, and no, and um, you know there isn't nearly the tension uh, on on you as there is here, especially with um, you know a team like the Red Sox that really kind of dominates the sports scene in in uh, you know when they're good in in, in the summer, obviously. So. But uh, okay. Um, but aside from that, uh, overall, I would say if we were to grade the Red Sox over the first four uh, seven games, I'm going to give them somewhere in the B plus range here. Uh, you know, which is better than the 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 glaring red F they would have gotten on Monday, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, uh, and here they are. Uh, uh, on the road, or uh, you know, yeah, they're, they're going to t- they're going to um, they're finishing up in Baltimore, then going to Minnesota. I want to say correct for uh, I think it's four games, and then coming back at the end of the week. I think it's against Chicago. I want to say they have a nice long home stand after that. They've yeah. got the White Sox, yeah. which wraps around into Patriots Day. Right, right. Uh, the Blue Jays and the Mariners come in uh, ten games in a row at home. So, uh, Bill, I know that we. we uh, We've got some news uh, in the last few days that the Red Sox are going to be wearing some unorthodox uniforms uh, for the uh, for the weekend leading into Patriots Day. Patriots Day itself, I guess they're going to be wearing the the uniform that they have been wearing, the the Boston Strong kind of uniform. But I think that the days leading up to Patriots Day that weekend, they're going to be wearing uh, yellow and blue uniforms, uh, paying uh, homage to the Boston Marathon. Now, I, I know that old fogies like me look at that and say, that's not the Red Sox. And, you know, <laughs> right. I don't know. You know, I, 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 I'm kind of um, with all the things happening in the world. I, I guess the color of the Red Sox uniform to me is not as big, a, big of a deal as it once was. But I can't say that they're that I like them visually. <laughs> you know, that sure. th- they look like bad softball uniforms to me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, for me, I, I would look at it and I would say uh, it, this this is in partnership with Nike, who is now right. the uniform provider for Major League Baseball. Uh, and Nike approached, I think it was, what, seven or eight teams? And, Something and like that. To, yeah, yeah. The, I think the Red Sox are the first ones rolling it out. And then the, there'll be, a, uh, you know, six or seven other teams doing it over the course of the summer. The City Connect yes. uniform. So they're trying to highlight something unique in that city and, and kind of make a connection with the baseball team. And in Boston, it would be it's the Boston Marathon. Obviously, which I I think uh, you know if, if you're going to do something like that and and you know you're you're going to do that in Boston, um, you know I, I I don't necessarily know that there is a better tie-in that you would find than the marathon because obviously you know the Red Sox playing every year on Patriots Day and, yep. and the marathon sort of going by Fenway Park and, and finishing usually during the game, right? Um, you know the connection that the Red Sox had with the city after the marathon bombings in 2013. Right. Uh, the fact they won the World Series that year, Boston strong, mm-hmm. David Ortiz telling everyone whose city it was. Yep. Um, you know, just, just that connection between that event um, and, and that team uh, in that particular year, I, I think, was so special. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I also think that, and, and you've been up there, um, you know, from Marathon Monday. It's yep. a great celebration. No, it's a. It usually, you know, if if you hit it right when the weather, if the weather is good, it's a great day in the city. Great day. You know, it, you get a ball game early, and then and then you can get over and watch the end of the, the marathon. It really is a, a kind of a unique Boston experience. You know, I know going to school at BU like I did, uh, we used to have Monday off from class, and you know we'd try to find somebody who was renting a house on Beacon Street, and mm-hmm. we'd try to have a cookout in the driveway or in the front yard, and right. you know, we'd have a couple drinks and and throw a couple burgers on the grill and and watch the runners go by and you know just sort of enjoy that first feeling of spring if you did catch a nice day sure. with some sunshine yep um you know it, it, it's a very uniquely boston uniquely massachusetts feel and, mm-hmm. and so in that respect uh, i like the fact that nike chose to align with with the marathon i like the fact that they picked colors that are significant uh in yep. that way and unique to boston mm-hmm. um i understand that it's marketing and, and that 
you know, there is a desire there to, to sell more uniforms and more product and whatever else. What I would say is that they didn't give them purple jerseys with pink polka dots <laughs> and put Boston on the front and say, here, right, you know, this right. is whatever. There was a method to the madness here. There, there's a reason why it's those colors. You know, I, yeah. I think back to, to the Players Weekend uniforms where it was all black or all white, yeah. you know, with the, the piping and, 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 you know, the, the, the sort of standout lettering. Yeah. Those uniforms were atrocious. <laughs> yeah. They were hideous. They were ugly. Right. Um, you know, at least these have some sort of connection with the market that you're in. And, and so if, if you're going to do this for one or two days and, you know, the players seem to like it and, and be a little bit excited about it, um, you know, and, and most importantly, it is authentic to the city and who it sure. is and, and some big institution in the city like the Marathon. Uh, with that in mind, I have much less of a problem with it than, than normally I would have on the surface. Yeah, yeah. You know, it got me thinking, um, if they were to do the same thing next year and, and they'd want to do different, you know, a different theme or what, like, what would the next thing be? What, what do you think of Boston? You know, you think of the history of Boston and the Freedom Trail. Do you tie that in? Do you know, uh, do you, do you? Do, do you tie in, uh, you know, I don't know how you would do it, but, you know, all the, certainly the, the world-class medical centers that Boston has. Do you have something that tips yeah. that tips your hat to the doctors and nurses or, you know, uh, there's a few things, obviously, that, that Boston is known for. So we'll, we'll see what happens next year. But, you know, on the face of it, I'm, I'm not a fan of the actual uniform itself, but but I am a fan of the of the connection they're making with something that, that really is quintessentially Boston and New England, I think. So. Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. I, I, you know, the Red Sox being who they are uh, and that uniform being so iconic, that, that home white with Wait, the, the red, the red lettering yeah. across the front, uh, the big number on the back with with no names. Yep. Um, you know, it, it's just so iconic in sports. It, it's so clean. It's so crisp. Um, you know, you're you're thankful that they're not changing that. Uh, right. In, I mean, these are not the Chicago way. White Sox that have changed their uniforms like a gajillion times and had exactly. at one point had them wearing shorts. You That's know, right. So. You know, and if if you're you're a brand like the Red Sox are, you know, a brand like the Yankees are, uh, like the Dodgers are. Yeah. Um, you know, those uniforms, you can picture them in your mind. Of course. The yeah. Yankee pinstripes, the Dodger blues at home, the been white the, with the blue lettering. Been that way for 100 years. Right. right. Yeah. You know, so it, if, if this is just going to be for a day or two, and it's going to be aligned to something that, that is such a big part of the city, yeah. um, I think you should do your best to, to try to embrace it. So, Bill, uh, I, I would say that uh, all in all, it was a pretty good opening for the Red Sox, uh, you know, obviously don't like to see them lose three in a row, but to come back and win four certainly, I think, uh, sparks some hope. I think it sets the tone that this team can certainly be in the mix. We'll see. We'll see how things are, uh, you know, uh, you know, as we get deeper into the summer. But um, so far, I would say, so far, so good. And no Red Sox team had ever started 0-3 and then won the next four games. Um, it had happened 20 times in the regular season. Yeah. Uh, they had won the next three games once. That was in 1951. Mm-hmm. The only other time that the Red Sox have gone 0-3 and won four in a row was a certain American League Championship Series in 2004. <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll have to explore that a little bit more next time before... Uh before we get too too carried away from from uh for this podcast but uh i like hearing that that's not a bad thing right mm-hmm. so anyway so bill thank you again uh we will see where the red Sox end up a week from now and uh and uh see how they make out in uh not only baltimore but uh minnesota where they will take on our friend rocco baldelli's squad yes uh, fortunately, mostly day games out in Minnesota because that tends to make sense. You don't want to be out there, I don't think. All day games. All day right. games, right? Okay. Yep. Yeah. You probably don't want to be out there, uh, you know, at, at 7 or 8 o'clock at night. In, uh, That's a tough one. <laughs> outside in Target Field. That's but, a tough one. Yeah. But, uh, Bill, thanks again, and we will do this again next week. All right. Thanks, Bill.